0: We are ending this series we've been doing. It's the fifth week of a series we've been doing called Imago Dei. It means the image of God. It's a Latin phrase that means the image of God. And I'm so thankful that we get to end this series on Easter week. I'm so thankful that we get to end this series on a week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends with Easter Sunday because I don't know that there's any better picture of the image of God in who God is and who God wants us to be than the picture of Jesus The last week of his life because here's what we've been learning if god was a giver which we're celebrating at easter that god gave his son and we are made in the image of god it means that we too when we reflect the image of god in us it means we become givers and even more specifically than that we've been learning about this this biblical concept of tithing it's a word that means ten percent and we've been learning how the bible says real ministry happens As people begin giving 10% of their income as an offering to God, and the church begins giving 10% of its offerings back out into the community as an investment in ministry, as a ministry before God. When we give, we look like God. And I want to thank you for the graciousness that you have showed me and in a subject that I said four weeks ago is a sensitive subject for me to preach on because we've got so many new Christians in our church. We've got so many people who come to our church who are not yet Christians that giving can be a touchy subject for people who are checking out Jesus, um, but they, they don't want people to reach into their wallet. And we said, we're going to talk about this, but we're going to do it sensitively. And your feedback has been so incredibly gracious to me. I had someone last week who approached me after the message and said, thank you. I come to church to be challenged and changed, not to be entertained. Don't tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear, because I trust in you to be able to open the Bible and tell me what I need to hear. I got this email on Monday, which maybe to me was worth the entire series, to see someone say, I hear biblical truth and I apply it to my life. Christian. I wanted to let you know that your sermons, the biblically focused leadership within the church, our small group, and the overall direction of JCI has greatly affected my wife and myself to more heavily pursue Christ and to dive deeper into the Bible than we have in the past. I also wanted to say that through what you've said and God's softening our hearts, we've begun tithing a full 10% pre-tax every month. Not that we deserve any credit for this just want you to know that your efforts insight and leadership has affected us deeply And we very much appreciate your god-focused leadership We want this to be a starting point with our giving and to only increase over time I also wanted to let you know you can now say there's more than one person you mentioned that has changed your giving habits So now we've got two over four years We appreciate that you pull what the bible says and you give it to us directly That you take good advice from leadership within the church and you implement it, like you mentioned Jeff saying, hit a little harder with the word. Keep telling it like God wrote it, we need it. Thank you so very much for what you and the excellent group of people at JCI has done. If even one couple, even one person... Says, man, here's who I was, but here's who I am in Jesus. And if the Bible says that this is part of that path of walking towards Jesus, I'm going to do that. That was worth it. But my prayer is we've got m- more than that. We don't just celebrate Palm Sunday. We're coming to the end of what we've been calling Generosity Week since mid February. We challenged everyone after a month of learning to take this mid month kind of March pay period and to give more than you've ever given. If you've never given at all, to start giving. If you give a little bit, to give consistently. If you've been giving consistently, to maybe start tithing. If you tithe, to do something more, and I'm trusting it's been an incredible week. I had someone say, hey, how did the finances look on Generosity Week? Did more people start giving? I have no idea. We didn't track that. Well, did anyone start tithing? I have no idea. We we didn't track that. Well, do you think the offering is bigger because you did it? I don't really know. The purpose of Generosity Week was not for us to get a bump in the offering. The purpose of generosity week was for you to get a breakthrough in your spirit. It really doesn't matter what the offering is, or how much came in, or how many new people started giving. What matters is that people have begun to follow Jesus in obedience, and I'm praying they'll experience a breakthrough in that, because when you give, other people are blessed, but I believe when we tithe, we experience a blessing. Have you ever had anybody give you something unexpectedly and realize what a blessing that is? I was at Chick-fil-A yesterday going through the drive-thru. My wife and kids and my mom and dad have all left me and gone ahead of me to spring break. I'll catch up with them tonight. So I, I was a bachelor with my dog, and I said, Rudy, let's, I guess we'll go to Chick-fil-A. So we went to Chick-fil-A, and I'm in the drive-thru, and a family from our church is walking into Chick-fil-A. Um, and I saw them and yelled out the window and said hi, and we talked for just a minute. And I ordered my food, and when I got to the window, um, the lady said, Sir, a, um, a family from your church is in the restaurant. And they have, they've taken care of your meal. You don't have to pay anything. I was so blessed that I wish I would have ordered more. Uh, When I heard that, I thought, you know, if I didn't know that was going to happen, I'd have got a milkshake as well at Chick-fil-A. But I was so blessed. I mean, when people give, when people give, it blesses people. And when people tithe, it blesses you. And today on Palm Sunday... We get to learn not just about this day and this week, but we get to learn a little bit about giving. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 21. Our ushers are going to come down the aisle. They've got Bibles you can use or have or dial it up on your phone or your tablet. Um, But in Matthew chapter 1... We get to walk back in time with Jesus on Palm Sunday. And make sure and reach in your bulletin and pull out your notes so you can take notes and follow along. I've got some good information for you. If you need a Bible, just wave at the ushers. They'll give you one. Um, But Palm Sunday was always one of my favorite Sundays growing up at church. Grew up in a small town, little church. um, And Palm Sunday was always the exact same way. We had a farmer in our church who'd bring a donkey. Um, and all the kids would get to go hang out with the donkey. Um, we had a children's director who would hand out little palm branches. And we would get them and just beat the tar out of each other. All the guys running around. And we'd hit the donkey when nobody was watching. I mean, I loved Palm Sunday. It was the same every year. Um, but Palm Sunday, when you, re- when you read the scriptures, it's not the party that we remember with the branches and the donkey and maybe the Easter eggs and some candy. Um, it's a little more than that. And I want to read with you Matthew chapter 21 verses 1 through 17. And, and I want to remind you what happened on this day in history that we're celebrating. It says, as they, approached, as they approached Jerusalem and they came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you and at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle in riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and they placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When the Jesus entered Jerusalem... The whole city was stirred and asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. As Jesus entered the temple courts, he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It's written, he said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you're making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priest and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying, Jesus asked? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? So he left them, and he went out to the city of Bethany. that's where Lazarus was from, and he spent the night. You know, I believe this text, this Palm Sunday text is one of the greatest Bible texts on tithing in the entire Bible. And I'm so excited to teach you why. As a matter of fact, three weeks ago, I didn't know what I just said, that this is one of the greatest texts on tithing in the entire Bible. But I'm so excited to teach you what I have learned and what God has shown me through this text on Palm Sunday. Now, here's the first cool thing about Palm Sunday. The message clearly is that your king is coming. The message of Palm Sunday is that your king is coming. Look at verse 5. Say to daughter Zion, that's another name for Jerusalem, or anywhere where the Spirit of God would reside, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle, in riding on a donkey, on a colt, on the foal of a donkey. The message of Palm Sunday is that the king is coming, but but this message was quoted in verse 5 from Zechariah 9, verse 9, that was actually given 500 years earlier. See, it's not just the message of Palm Sunday, That the king is coming. It's the message of Zechariah. That the king is coming. It's actually the message of the entire Bible. That the king is coming. Do you know the story of the Bible. Is not a story about people seeking God. It's a story about God seeking people. We always hear about God coming down. We always hear about the king coming down. We don't hear about people going to the king. God came down to the Garden of Eden to spend time with Adam and Eve. God came down to tell Noah about the flood. God came down to tell Abraham about the promised land. God came down to tell Jacob it was finally safe to go home. God came down to tell Joseph what the dreams meant. God came down to tell Moses to get his people out of Egypt. God came down to tell Joshua to walk around the walls of Jericho. He came down to tell the judges... free his people he came down to tell david he was going to be king he came down as a baby at christmas and on easter week jesus as king came to the people he was riding on a donkey that day he was riding into jerusalem that day but the message of eternity is that god came down your king is coming and as jesus was introduced to the world it was as a king Matthew 3, verses 1 through 3, telling us who John the Baptist was, says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judah and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet of Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight the path for him. Isaiah wasn't describing a preacher, he was describing a herald Say, who's herald? Not who, what? What's a herald? A herald was somebody who would go to a city the week before a king was going to get there, and he would say, get everything ready. Make straight paths, literally meant clean the streets, move the rocks, get everything ready. A herald was someone who said, the king is coming. Isaiah said, John the Baptist is going to come to tell the people, the king is coming, get everything ready. A herald was basically the first secret service. Get into the town and get it ready for the king to come. The king is coming. That's the fact of Easter week and Palm Sunday. And as we talk about the king coming at Journey, I believe we have people in our church who not only believe that, but they work because of that. We, we in January, launched a campaign called Finish. We've started our building project that should be finished finished this fall and we said it's going to take all of our church doing four things to finish what we've started this building project we said first everyone has to pray everyone has got to serve everyone has got to bring and if you have made a pledge we need you to give but we said if people will pray and serve and and invite people bring people and and give their pledges we'll finish together but you know what the reality is those four things happen every week at journey we have people every week praying for the services, praying for people, praying over prayer requests. We have people serving every week, people who got here early this morning, people who will leave late this afternoon, serving every week. We have people that invite their friends and neighbors and family members, like you saw on the video with the Gillums, every week. And we have people who give and who have given since the very beginning. Why? Not for a building, for the king. They believe the king is coming And they believe if they will serve, that someone might meet the king. And if they will pray, someone might meet the king. And if they will bring somebody, they might meet the king. And if they will give, someone might know the king. We have a church filled with people who I believe have leaned into the thought that the king is coming. And man, I'm so excited about Easter week because there's no greater week of the year to invite somebody to be a part of church than this week. We've given out all kinds of things for people to invite their friends. And I have loved watching on social media as our people have said to their friends, Easter's coming, come to my church. We've got people who have... Taken yard signs and they 've got yard signs in their yard, and they 've taken pictures with their kids um, and their family members, and said, Hey, Easter is coming. come be a part of our church. We have people who have been so creative they 've made baskets for people and little gifts for people, and they 've handed out cards and said here 's a snack. I, I think this, this we got an Easter basket. the one before that was a can of soda, and somebody said, You are so de come to church with me on Easter. We have people who understand the king is coming We' even had somebody post a picture of their donkey and said My donkey invite you to easter sunday at journey all of us have somebody in our life who acts like a donkey from time to time right they need to come to church on easter and meet jesus maybe they won't act like that as much see the king is coming that's the message of palm sunday the king is coming and we need to bring people to 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 help them realize who jesus is but the message of palm sunday is also the king went crazy i mean as you read through this text you're like what's going on with jesus Look at verses 12 and 13 after this homecoming prayed for him. He kind of goes nuts. It says, Jesus entered the temple courts and he drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you were making it a den of robbers. We have to ask the question, what's happening here? I mean, tell me, you didn't just listen to me read that whole text and all you saw was donkeys and palm branches. I mean, someone had to say what's up with jesus what's what's he what's he doing you see it's critical to our understanding of this text in order for us to see this passage in the context of the tithe for us to understand what is happening here because i i have a lot of people who you probably have an answer to that question in your head what's jesus doing well he's driving the business out of church you know jesus is sick of people putting starbucks in their lobbies and the preacher selling his cds in the bookstore jesus is selling business out of the church the church is a house of prayer actually you're wrong these people were not set up for business. They were set up for offerings, specifically to collect the tithe, according to the Bible. Jesus didn't break into this church and bust up the coffee shop in the foyer or, or the bookstore that was selling the preacher's tapes. Jesus went into the usher's room, and he busted up the offerings. Say, so Why would he do that? That is the right question, and there's a great answer. Deuteronomy chapter 14 verses 22 through 26 Is an intriguing passage of scripture that has begun to change the way I look at the tithe i've read over it I knew the principles of it before But the second week of this series one of the people in our church emailed me this text and they said my husband and I Have tithed since we were married, but we've never understood this text. What does it mean? And I read it and I thought I'm, not sure So let me read it to you Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 26 says, Be sure to set aside a tenth, that's a tithe, be sure to set aside a tenth, a tithe, of all that your fields produce each year. Eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil, the firstborn of your herd, flocks in the presence of the Lord God, at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. But if that place is too distant for you and you've been blessed by the Lord your God and cannot carry your tithe because the place where the Lord will choose to put his name is so far away, then exchange your tithe for silver. Take the silver with you. Go to the place your Lord God will choose and use the silver to buy whatever you like, cattle, sheep, wine, other fermented drink, anything you wish. Then you and your household shall eat there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice. Interesting passage. Passage got sent to me, so what does it mean? I said, Refine your question. Tell me what question are you asking? There's a lot in there. I know what some of it means. What question are you asking? He said, It appears that the tithe here is supposed to be used for us, not given to God. Can you help me understand that? Well, I read that passage of scripture and I thought that can't mean that. Because there's a principle of biblical interpretation that says a verse can never mean less than what a what a verse says, but it can always mean more than that You say, What, what does it mean? A verse can never say less than what we know the bible to say So the bible more than 20 times says give your tithe to the lord So that verse cannot mean Less than give your tithe to the lord, but it can mean more than that Let me give you an example 10 commandments said don't murder don't commit adultery um, Don't lie. Jesus came on the sermon on the mountain. He said let me refine that a little bit for you." you've heard that It was said don't murder Actually, let me give you a little more Actually, don't be angry Murder comes from anger if you can change your heart It'll change your actions. Bible says don't commit adultery. It's not less than don't commit adultery, but it's more. Don't even look lustfully at somebody. See, if you can stop the action, if you, if you can change the heart, you can stop the action. The Ten Commandments said don't lie. Jesus, I'll tell you, you've kind of figured out what, what's a good lie, what's a bad lie. If you swear by the temple, you know, you can't lie about that one. But if you swear by something else, you can lie. Just, just listen. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. So biblical interpretation says nothing can mean less than what it says, but it can mean more. So I read this, and this doesn't say don't tithe, don't give your tithe, but it clearly says something more than give your tithe. So I wrote back, and I said, I'm not sure how to answer your question, but I will look into it. I'll study, I'll ask questions, and I'll get back to you. And as I studied and learned what this meant, it really, in my, it changed the way that I see tithing. And instead of sending back an email, I said, I've learned so much, I'm going to preach on this now. I can't send it in an email. Be at church the 20th and you'll hear it. Because here's what you learn from Deuteronomy chapter 14. Three things you need to understand about the Old Testament tithe to really begin to apply this picture to your life. Number one, you need to understand the Old Testament tithe was annual. Not till the New Testament did we ever hear anyone talk about in the Roman era, hey, when you get paid every week, give some of that paycheck as an offering. The Apostle Paul said that. But in the Old Testament, tithing was annual, meaning you had crops that produced once a year. So you give once a year you had animals that would give birth and reproduce once a year So you would give once a year um, You might have a vineyard or you might have chickens at late eggs. You would give your tithe annually It was usually once a year You would count up everything that god had blessed you with and and then you would give that tithe annually It was not just annual. It was geographical God said you not only give it once a year But you have to give it at the place that I tell you to give it and at that place the temple of god was the tabernacle of god and it was only in one location on planet Earth. So God said, wherever you are, once a year, you have to come to that place. And that's where you give your tithe, because I want you to give it in the presence of the Lord. So here's what Deuteronomy 14 is saying within that backdrop. Saying, hey, let's say you have a real good year. You, you, you have a farm. Um, let's say your animals, you know, give birth over the course of the year. Your sheep, your goats, your, your cows... Um, your chickens, let's say over the course of a year that, you know, you, you have 50 new species delivered to your farm. A couple sheep, a goat, you know, some cows, some chickens. Over the course of a year, you've got 50 new animals given around. Your tithe would be five of those. And let's say you've got two orange trees kind of hanging out in your backyard. One of the greatest uh, crops in Israel, if you've ever been, is citrus fruit. So say your orange trees have just a boom harvest and you have 500 oranges that grow that year. You've got 50 that you got to take to the temple. And let's say you have some chickens that are running around who lay that year, I don't know, 500 eggs between them all. So you got 50 eggs that you've got to get. And Let's say you've got a little vineyard that produces, they didn't have bottles of wine, they didn't have boxes of wine, they would have bags of wine, that's how it worked back then, you put it in a wine skin. Let's say your vineyard produced, you know, 20 bags of wine. Um, you would have all this stuff, say you had a little wheat field that produced maybe 100 bags of wheat so you would gather up your tithe i got five animals you know i've got 50 eggs i've got 50 oranges i've got 10 bags of wheat you know i've got a couple bags of wine um and i live 100 miles from the temple well that's a that's a hard journey to get ready for god says listen um i've had to i've had to travel Um, Through all the tsa agents. You don't want to check that stuff. So here here's 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 the plan. God said if you live a long way away Take it sell it So you don't have to carry it and then take that money Go to jerusalem and when you get to jerusalem buy it all back So you take the money that you sell your stuff for and you get to jerusalem and you say I need Five sheep and I need 50 oranges um, And I need 50 eggs and I need you get the point buy it back And then God said, when you actually take that and give it to the temple, the tabernacle, um, he said, I want you to enjoy a portion of that, the first portion of that as a meal. I actually want you to spend some time with God when you give that offering. So the money changers were set up in the temple for the people who traveled from a long way away who wanted to buy back their tithe so they could give it, not just give it to God, but enjoy it with God. So we just learned a Bible lesson. Except there's this question. What were the people doing wrong? I mean, if they were doing exactly what Jesus told them to do, why did he flip over the tables? Why did he tell people to get lost? If the Bible said do this to tithe and they were doing that, why would Jesus get so upset? Well, we find the answer in verse 13. At least the direction of the answer, if not the specifics. Jesus says, it's written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of, what's the word there? Now, Jesus didn't just speak without thinking. And he didn't speak without full knowledge of every word of the Old Testament. So when Jesus said, through this process you all have become robbers, and he used the same word God used to describe to those not tithing fully in Malachi 3.8, Jesus busted into the temple and he said, just like in the time of Malachi 400 years earlier, nothing has changed. You've removed God from the heart of the process of the tithe. This is all ceremonial, but it's not about the tithe, and it's not about God anymore. The people were giving out, but they weren't giving up. What do you mean by that? They were giving out, but they weren't giving up. They, They were taking part in offerings and some offering rituals, but they weren't giving up. Do you know almost every offering in the Old Testament was a burnt offering? Do you know why it was a burnt offering? Because of the symbolism of the offering drifting up. God said, I want the people, when they give their offering, to see their offering go up. I want them to understand as the smoke goes up that, hey, we gave our offering and now it's going to God. Maybe we should take the offering and then just burn it at the front of the church so it goes up. We're like, okay, it went to God. That's probably not the best idea. Our finance team would kill me. But that's the thought. People understood their giving was up. And both those giving and those exchanging you can look at Matthew chapter 21 and say, maybe the church is at fault. Maybe the people are at fault. But somewhere in this process, the tithe has gotten lost. They turned tithing and taking offerings into a business transaction. And they had missed the entire point. You say, well, how could the church have been at fault? Well, maybe this way. I take my oranges and my eggs and my chickens and my sheep. And I, I sell them up in Galilee for $100. And I get down to Jerusalem and I say, hey, here's my order. Here's my tithe order. And they say, all right, that'll, that'll be $500. I say, well, I don't have $500. So, well, you're not going to get all the eggs and the oranges and the sheep and the wine and the grain? You say, well, I'm not going to be able to present. The, the church was kind of taking their tithe, using it on themselves instead of allowing the people to give it and be blessed by giving it. So the church wasn't doing its portion through tithing or perhaps I sell all my stuff in Galilee. I start heading 100 miles down to Jerusalem. And on, on the way between Galilee and Jerusalem, there just happened to be some Israeli outlet malls. And it's like, you know, I need a new pair of sandals. Mine are kind of wearing out. So I take some of that Tide to buy sandals. And then I hit a roadside stand, and they're selling you know, my, my favorite kind of marinated sheep rib because they don't eat pork over there. And it's like, you know, maybe we should grab something to eat. And then, you know, there's a room at our favorite hotel, and by the time we get to Jerusalem, we go to turn in our tithe and our $100 is $15. You say, what can I get for 15 Because we've used our tithe on ourselves instead of giving it. Probably one of, or, probably one of those things were happening. Probably both of those things were happening. And Jesus said, enough. The church has quit realizing how important the tithe is. The people have quit realizing how important the time is. But honestly, I mean, Jesus, they're going to crucify you in five days is really the most important thing, the offerings. I mean, why was this so important to Jesus in the last five days of his life? Why was giving so important that in the last three days of his life, the Bible said Jesus sat in the temple and he watched people giving their offerings and he praised a poor widow because he said the way that she gave, she gave so much more than the tithe. The way that she gave tells me that I have her entire heart. See, why was it so important? Because the tithe was annual, the tithe was geographical, but Deuteronomy 14 tells us that the tithe was relational. You see, Deuteronomy proves that God doesn't just want your money. If God just wanted your money, he would have said tell the tithe, sell the tithe and just give me the silver. I don't want the food, I just want the money. God didn't say sell it and put it in an envelope and give it. God said I want you to bring it and let's enjoy the tithe together. See, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't just want your money. He wants you. He wants your trust. He wants moments of your time. He wants your friendship and your acknowledgement that He's real and in your life, and the tithe is a part of that. God wanted giving to be about Him, not just money. And what we learn from Matthew chapter 21 and Deuteronomy chapter 14, what we learn in these two chapters combined is this great picture of the heart of God that as important as what you're giving is the pause when you're giving it and realizing God, this is a holy moment. This is a moment where I recognize how much you have blessed me and where I recognize how grateful I am to give back. God wants us to understand that the pause is important. He wants us to understand that tithing is relational, not transactional. I mean, no one could eat their entire tithe. If it was too heavy to carry, you certainly couldn't eat it in one meal. But God said, when you give it, stop. And enjoy that moment of giving before you leave your tithe and you go back to your house. So tithing is relational, not transactional. It's why we share stories at the offering at our church. When we get up to take an offering, we say, here's what your offering is going to, because we are not a bank and this is not a stick-up. Offering time, give us all your money. That's not the way it works. It's offering time. Here's what our church is doing spiritually. Here's the ministry that you're Money is making. We want you to understand your giving is up. It's not out. It's to God. And here's what God is doing with your offering. You see, the blessing of the tithe is the process of that intimate moment with God when you give. So when you tithe, when you give, remember to stop for a moment. Remember that you're in the presence of God. You're not just paying a bill, you're meeting with God. Whether you're giving online, that's a holy moment where you're meeting with God. If you're you're giving by text message, that's a holy moment that you're meeting with God. If you're writing a check and putting it in the offering, that's a holy moment where you're meeting with God. If you're putting it in the mail so you can mail it into the church, that's a holy moment. Even if one time a year you go up and set up automatic giving so you give every time you get paid, even when you're not able to be at church, Those are holy moments where you stop and you say, God, thank you for all that you've given me. It becomes relational. And then God said, you give. These are God moments. If we were to go a step further, we'd realize that all of Scripture, from Genesis 1 all the way through the book of Revelation, it paints this picture of a God through Jesus who wants us to host him. In Genesis 1, God came into the garden and He said, Hey, can we hang out? And in Revelation chapter 3, more than 6,000 years later, we see Jesus saying, Here I am, Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and eat with that person. And they with me, from our first time we reference God in Genesis to one of the very last times we reference God in Revelation, God is saying, You want to hang out? I'd like to hang out. Can we hang out? Can I come to your house? Jesus didn't say, open the door and give me your offering. Jesus didn't say, open the door, I'm here to collect the tithe. Jesus said, I'd like to come in and have a meal with you. So basically, Deuteronomy 14 says that every time you tithe, it's like sitting down at a feast with the king. Can you imagine what it would be like to sit down at a king's feast what that would look like. So Deuteronomy says when you tithe it's like sitting down at a feast with the king but by the time we work through the lens of scripture to Revelation 320, Revelation 320 tells us that every time we tithe it's not just like sitting down with the king, it's like hosting the king. You're not going to his banquet, you're preparing the banquet. Tithing allows us to prepare our very best for Him, just like John the Baptist said. And I've got some guys who are going to bring out a table because I want to show you what I've learned this week through Matthew chapter 21. As Matthew chapter 21 looks backwards to Deuteronomy 14, and as Matthew 21 looks forward to Revelation 3.20, we get this picture of what the offering looks like and what our offering looks like to God. Because the Bible, I don't know if you've noticed it, but the Bible, so much of Scripture revolves around meals, one of the most significant events, significant events of Easter week was the Last Supper, a meal. Jesus' most intimate conversation with the Apostle Peter after the resurrection was over breakfast. The first tithe that was ever given by Abraham to the King of Salem was given over a meal. In the great picture of Matthew chapter one, back to Deuteronomy 14, forward to Revelation 3:20, is this thought that when we tithe, the king is coming. In the thought that when we tithe, every time we get paid, Jesus is standing at the door of our life saying, hey, have you planned to recognize me with what I've given you? Are you preparing something for me as a portion of what I've given you? Have you prioritized what is mine? And is my portion what it should be as your king? So when we tithe, every time we tithe, the money looks like this unbelievable it's like Jesus I knew you were coming and I've planned for you to be here because I realize all I receive is from you so I've prepared you just this small portion of what you've given me the 10% looks like this great feast because you are my king and I have prioritized this first before we've made food for our family or done any of our stuff Jesus we've put you first and here is your portion so every time Deuteronomy 14 teaches us to revelation three twenty. every time we tithe it's like preparing a banquet for our king there's some of you this is what your life looks like every time god blesses you and maybe it's once a year maybe it's once a week maybe it's once a month maybe it's every other week. i don't know what your pay cycle looks like but some of you every time you get paid you realize jesus is at the door and you prepare his portion and it's awesome but some of us our meal looks like this Say Jesus, I am aware of you. You know, and I know you're in my life, but here's the deal. When I get paid, I need to take care of myself. I need to make sure everything is okay and everything is taken care of. But here's the deal. If I have any leftovers, they're yours. I'm going to invite you in. I want you in my life. I want you in my home. I want you a part of my finances, but the reality is I really, this is mine, but you can have the leftovers. There's a lot of us that This is the picture of our giving. And then there are others who are like, oh, snap, I forgot you were coming over. Um, Jesus, you weren't a part of my mindset. You're not a part of my thinking every time I receive. And you're so brand new to my life, I didn't realize you were standing there. And we've eaten all the feast, and we don't really have any leftovers, but let's run down to McDonald's. And, um, you know, I realize who you are, and I want to give you something but no plan no preparation no priority probably the wrong portion but i've got something for you you know we have a church with people with so many different faith levels that i'm sure our offerings look like this but the picture drawn for us helps us see where we are so where where are you when we receive and then we turn around and give what What does our giving look like? Or maybe we're here. We don't even have time or room or a heart for fast food. It's just like, yeah, I don't have anything. Maybe come back later. See, some of you are looking at this table and you say, man, I think I'm failing in this area. If that's the case, here's the cool thing. Failure in any area spiritually is met with forgiveness in every area spiritually. As long as Jesus is riding into town. And guess what? On this day, he is. This is the day we celebrate Jesus riding into town. And as we look at this table, this is the week where God gave humanity the greatest offering that he ever gave. And I promise you, Jesus on a cross doesn't look like that. Jesus on a cross doesn't look like God's leftovers. Jesus' gift to us on the cross looks like his very best. It was planned ahead of time. It was prepared since the creation of the world. It was prioritized as the most important event in the history of humanity so that we can receive our eternal portion one day in heaven, forgiveness for our sins and eternal life with God. Which takes us to the beginning of the series, John three sixteen. God so loved you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. Why? Because God is a giver. He's the greatest giver in the history of the world. And God created us to be like him. We've got part of his DNA inside of us. That's what Imago Dei means. God didn't create us so that he could have transactions with us. God created us so he could have a relationship with us. And our currency isn't fruits and vegetables for most of us. It's not wine and animals. So we don't see it as a meal, but when we give our 10%, when we tithe, we prepare a feast for our king every time. say, man, Christian, I look at this and I don't know that I have enough money for all this. I mean, man, that's a grand feast with a bottle of grape juice for all you Baptists and maybe wine for you Catholics and Presbyterians. I don't know how it works. And backslidden Baptists. You can laugh. That's funny. Don't be uncomfortable. Nobody's going to think you're a drinker. Every time you tithe, it looks, like, it looks like this. You say, well, that looks like a, a lot of money. Guess what? This is not an amount of money. It's a percentage of money. So if you're a little seventh grade girl and you made $20 babysitting last week, this is $2. $2 gets you all this. If you're a big businessman, you made $100,000 last year. $10,000 looks like this. But if you're a big businessman and you made 100000 last year and you gave $1,000, it probably looks closer to this. These offerings are based on percentages, not amounts. Because God says you can only give what you receive. And 10% is a feast to me. And the reality, folks, is that Jesus is coming to your house every time you get paid. That's how I've learned to look at giving because of a question asked to me by one of our church attenders. And you know what the reality is jesus is really he's the only reason worth giving to every time there's no church in the world that you should think about every time you get paid churches just aren't that good there's no ministry in the world you should think about every time you get paid because none of them are worth giving to your entire life but if you think about jesus every time you get paid and you think about him standing at the door knocking and wanting to come in and have a meal wouldn't you prepare your best if you knew that was the expectation And you knew that's what he did for you? You see, as a church, we prepare our tithe. Every time you give, we take 12% of it. We realize Jesus is coming, not to collect our money, but to spend some time with us. We say, Jesus, here's your portion. It symbolizes trust, it symbolizes obedience, it symbolizes control, it symbolizes generosity. But it's a Jesus thing, not a money thing. And the bottom line of this series as we end this five weeks and we springboard to Easter is this. When you tithe as an individual and we tithe as a church, look at the last part of Matthew 21. I won't read it, but here's what's happening. People are healed. People are healed when the king comes into town and things are done right. People praise God when the king rides into town and see things done right. And children begin to understand who Jesus is. I love this thought that when adults will do the right thing, That their children will praise God. Our children will know Jesus through our interactions with Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do you need healing today? Do you need to finally understand who Jesus is today? You've noticed point number one is the king is coming. It's true. But is he the king or your king? Because whether or not you embrace him, Jesus is riding into town. But if you embrace him, the life he has for you is unbelievable. How about this? Do you have friends in your life that need healing? Broken marriages you're watching fall apart that need healing? Broken siblings and parents who are hurting emotionally that need healing? Do you have people in your life that need to understand who Jesus is? Let's invite them to church next Sunday. And invite them to celebrate in the feast spiritually that is Easter Sunday. I hope you've learned as much as I've learned the last five weeks. And I pray that as you put into practice what you've learned, you have a spiritual breakthrough that allows the Imago Dei, the image of God that's planted deep within you, to come out just a little more, so that when people look at you, they see more of Jesus than they do of you. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name so grateful for what we've learned about Palm Sunday And Lord, about your heart on Palm Sunday, that you would care so much in the last week of your life that people understand giving and the intimacy that you feel towards people who host you through their giving. From Deuteronomy 14 to Matthew chapter 21 on to Revelation 3.20, this beautiful picture is drawn for us. Where the God of the universe says, I hope you're planning every time you receive from me to acknowledge that. I hope you're preparing every time you receive from me to acknowledge that. I hope you're prioritizing me every time you receive blessing. And I hope you give me my portion while recognizing the portion that I leave for you, not just life to the fullest, but life everlasting. As we close today with our eyes on Easter, I wonder how many of you have friends that need Jesus. I wonder how many of you have friends that need life everlasting. I wonder how many of you have friends that feel like they've been living spiritually on nothing or they've been living on spiritual fast food or they've been living on spiritual leftovers, but they've never really had a moment with King Jesus. Next week is the week to bring them. With every head bowed and every eye closed.